Exodus 20, verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We started this series off with that verse. And then this one, Exodus 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. That part right there you can translate to his new car, maybe. <laughs> if you're thinking, my neighbor doesn't even have a donkey. And, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe he's got a Mustang. <laughs> don't, don't covet that either. Um, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We started with, I am the Lord your God. You shall know the gods before me. And, and we're finishing this up on, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. As I was preparing this series of messages that we call the Ten Commandments then and now, I was thinking about the questions that are on that buffer video. The, the who, what, where, when, why. As I, as I looked at these, I realized that we had to answer these questions. Who were the Ten Commandments written for then? The Israelites. Now, us or anyone who chooses to have a relationship with God. Well, what are we talking about? Well, then we were talking about the actual giving of the Ten Commandments. Then they were given to Moses to give to the Israelites. Now, they're given, they are preserved actually in written form to us. The where took place on Mount Sinai or at the base of it. For Moses, it was on the mountain. For the Israelites, it was on the, on the base of Mount Sinai. For us, it's, it's here. It's, it's wherever you are when you look at God's Word. When. The when of this whole thing. Uh, then, the law of God was given to Moses for the people just after the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. That's why God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery... And then he went into, you shall have no other gods before me. So then the law was given just after the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery. Now we are given the greatest commandment by Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And now my favorite question of all of them is the why question. I ask why all the time. I'm, like a, I'm still like a toddler. Why, 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 why? Because say because I said so doesn't work for me. And I hope it doesn't work for you either. Why? Why were these given? Why would we go, why would, excuse me, why would God see the need to give his people laws like this? Especially laws that start with you shall have no other gods before me. Do not worship idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Rest on the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Why did the Israelites need these laws then? Why do we need them now? If you look at our artwork this morning, uh, remember those of you who were here last week, um, I told you this was a painting of you. And if this is your first time here, it's a painting of you also. So don't think you, you slipped out of it because you weren't here last. This is a painting of you. And, and I hope you can see yourself there. 
And, and I got to pause and just tell you, I love doing this. This is one of my favorite things because we, we talk about a concept and then little by little it comes together. And then as we close it out, here's this painting. And, but there's a lot more there than just a guy standing in front of a cross with, with light all around it and darkness all around him. If you look at this artwork, this painting of you, my question for you is, what are you carrying in the painting? Uh, just so you know, you're like, I don't know, I didn't paint it. I don't know what I'm carrying. It's not, that's not your Bible and your iPad, so you can come into worship. That's, that's not what you're carrying. It's not your, it's not your concordance. That's your baggage. That's what every one of us carries in here every single week. It's the stuff we, we put in our bag and we carry it with us everywhere we go. It's the things from our past. It's, maybe it's mistakes. Maybe it's accomplishments. Maybe you think some of your accomplishments are so great you have to carry them around and make sure everybody knows, I have a PhD. I don't. I just have a bachelor's degree, but I was in school long enough I could have had a PhD. Okay? At seven years, I could have been a doctor, but who wants that? But that's what we do sometimes. If you ever been corrected by somebody... Uh, it happens in college. You'll be like, Professor Smith, it's doctor. Dr. Smith. It's like, oh, my bad. That's baggage. You don't need that. When you're identified as a child of God, you don't need any other title. And think about this for a second. Here's a picture of you. And, and, and if we put all of our junk on that picture of you, you, we wouldn't be able to see you or, or me. Or we just wouldn't be able to see it. It'd just be like this big pile of stuff with maybe like a little head sticking out. So you'd see like this. It doesn't work. But think about for a second. That's your junk. And think about the Israelites. Think about the baggage they brought out of slavery. They were Pharaoh's slaves for hundreds of years. And in that time, they picked up some habits. Some of those habits may or may not have honored God. You see, when you stay around a place long enough, it starts to get on you. You... I'm going to pick on Joe for a second. <laughs> Angie, is it okay if I pick on Joe? Please. Okay. <laughs> Your wife said I could. Joe works at Chick-fil-A. And, and sometimes, he probably once a week at least, he comes home and what's he smell like? He smells like chicken every day. Every day. <laughs> Even when he bathes, he still smells like chicken. <laughs> Why? Because that's where he's at a majority of his time. That's his job. All right? And when we're around something long enough, it sticks to you. There are a lot worse things than Chick-fil-A that could stick to you. I'll tell you that. But that's what happens. So the, the, the Israelites are enslaved with Pharaoh for hundreds of years. They picked up some things. You see, the Egyptians, they didn't worship our God. They worshipped many gods. They worshipped frogs. They worshipped flies. They worshipped the sun. The Pharaoh himself uh, told people he was the rising and the setting sun. They were also slaves, and Pharaoh was a hard taskmaster, and I'm sure they didn't get too many Sabbath days where they could really rest. I'm sure that some of them forgot the Lord and maybe even spoke against Him in their slavery. That would go with taking the Lord's name in vain. Even when they left Egypt, the story goes that as they left, they left with property from the Egyptians. Fast forward, a lot of that was used to build the tabernacle that they carried around with them in the wilderness. But before that, there was a lot of things they left. The, the, the Bible says that the Egyptians just gave them stuff. Just, just go. Take it all. Just go. 
They left with property that wasn't theirs. And Yahweh delivers them out of slavery in a big way. There were the plagues. And then, then as we come out of, out of Egypt, we come to the Red Sea and it, it parts and they cross through on dry land. And now that he's got their, their attention, he says, hey, I delivered you from slavery and we're going to deal with your baggage right away. God says, I'm going to tell you how to get rid of, of hundreds of years of baggage. And that's what I'm going to share with you today. And he does the same thing with us. Because whether you like it or not, we are in slavery. We're in slavery to sin. But when God delivers us, He wants us to have everything we need to get rid of the baggage. It starts with the Ten Commandments. New Christian, from this day forward, you shall have no other gods. You don't need any other gods. You don't need money to get you through. You don't need the crutch of a drug. You don't need any of those things. You have God, a great big God who will deliver you. We go through the Ten Commandments now and we see how they can help us get rid of the baggage. Keep looking at yourself in this picture while I'm preaching today. Pretend like it's just my voice. I know you're like, I wish. (laughs) But think on these things. We're going to finish up this series by looking at the last commandment. Do not covet. See, our world is about coveting. I'm going to get into that towards the end of the sermon, but every commercial you see, oh, I got to have that. Oh, I want that. The reality is we need to be content with what we have. There's no reason that we need to long for things that belong to others. Our world says we should pursue happiness. I say avoid the pursuit of happiness and joy through the accumulation of baggage like material wealth and possessions or someone else's spouse or other people's friends. Keep your own eyes on your own paper. And don't use the things of the earth to fill the void in your life that only God can fill. Ask God to provide your needs. He promises... Sorry, I'm dyslexic. And what I'm supposed to say here is he promises he will take care of your needs. But what I typed out, and I've read this sermon like eight times, says he will take care of your needs. <laughs> so God will take care of what we need if we seek him first. We don't need to seek money first. We don't need to seek popularity. We don't need to seek perfection. We don't need to seek possessions. Because God will take care of our needs. We don't need to covet what somebody else has. I've got some examples of people from the Bible that coveted what was not theirs. Do you remember King Saul? Some of you do. Some of you say, I've never met the guy. He was a king. He had everything. He had a kingdom. He had armies. He had horses. He had had all this stuff. And yet he was jealous of one of his warriors. He was jealous of David's success. And he coveted the respect and the praise that David received from the people in all the towns. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 9. Um, that, that area of the Bible tells us how women sang of Saul's success. It wasn't a very rhymy song. It was kind of like Saul has killed thousands and David has kid, killed tens of thousands. And Saul, the king, coveted David because he had the respect of the people. And he had this, this popularity. And so the king who had everything didn't have what he wanted. Now, Full disclosure, David 
was no saint either when it was his turn to be king because the Bible says that it was, it was the time when the kings were out for war, but David was home in the palace. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. You can read about this. I'm just going to condense it down for you. David was home in the palace. He should have been out with the other kings fighting battles because that's what kings did. But instead, he was on the roof of his palace and he looked out and he sees Uriah, one of his soldiers, sees his wife bathing on the roof. And he covets his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, and he commits adultery with her. And then he he tried to get Uriah to come back to cover it up. It didn't work out. He ends up, ultimately, he murders Uriah to cover up his scandal. See, he coveted something. He had everything. He had wives, as in plural, but yet took someone else's wife for himself. But what about now? What does the New Testament tell us about coveting? Well, Paul encouraged the early church and us to be content with what we have. In Philippians 4, verses 11 through 12, listen to what's shared with the church in Philippi. It says this, Not that I speak from want, or I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along. Maybe this is you. Look at this picture. Think of this verse. I know how to get along with humble means. Let go of whatever it is you're carrying around right now. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret, this is my favorite part, of being filled and going hungry. He says, I've learned the secret of of both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As they say, I bring that up. That's not for your favorite sports team. That's for you. That's so you can let go of the baggage. So you can move on to a better place spiritually with the Lord. So you can move into a better relationship with Him. Learn the secret of being filled. Learn the secret of the secret of going hungry is it's okay because hunger will eventually end. God will provide for your needs. Learn the secret of having abundance and suffering in need. And know that you can do all these things through him who strengthens you. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul, he shares something else. And he gives us a good warning about loving money and about possessions. He even went as far as to say, this is a spoiler alert for what I'm about to share with you. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And before we read the verse, I want to pause on this. He doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say anything bad about money. He says that a love of money is a root for all kinds of evil. Why is that? Well, it's because in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. If money is your desire more than God in a relationship with Him is your desire, then your love of money will become a root for all kinds of evil in your, in your life. Listen to this from 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by, say that word with me, contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world. So we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, 
With these we shall be, say it, content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In short, coveting, the love of money causes greed, it causes envy, it causes pride, just to name a few things, but it also can cause us to wander away from the faith. The love of money can cause us to wander away from the God who delivered us out of slavery. The Apostle John also warned believers about loving the world and the things in the world. In 1 John 2, 15-18, he said that anyone who loves the world does not, love, does not have the love of God in him. Anyone who loves the world does not have the love of God in him. That doesn't mean I care about orphans and I love them so I don't have the love of God in me. That means I care about my new house more than I care about my neighbor so I don't have the love of God in me. That's... That's what that means. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, even Jesus said, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or, or what will we wear for clothing? Do not worry then, saying those things. Even the pagans run after all these things. The pagans don't care about God, they've got their belly full, they've got their stuff. They don't think about it. It says, even the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. You don't have to covet because God knows exactly what you need. And He's going to give you exactly what you need. You may think it's not enough, but it's exactly what you need. You may think, but I don't want to wait any longer, but you have exactly what you need. Jesus said this too. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Does that sound familiar? Kind of sounds like a new way of saying, you shall have no other gods before me. Sounds like a new way of saying, you shall not covet your neighbor. Seek first God's kingdom and all these things. And if you're wondering, well, where are all my things? The things that they were referencing here are the things you need, not the things you want. All these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. Don't seek after fame. Don't seek after these other things. Instead, Jesus says, seek me first. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 23, there's a young man who came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to the young man, You're right to call me teacher, but do you know why you call me teacher? He said, You must obey the commands. Oh, I've obeyed all of them. All ten of them. I've obeyed all the commands since I was a child. Jesus said, That's good. And then he said this to him. He said, Sell everything you have and come follow me. And you will receive the kingdom of God. 
You can look this story up. Like I said, it's in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 23. This rich young man, he lived his life with a commitment to keeping all the commandments. And he asked Jesus, what more does he need for eternal life? And Jesus' response to him went right to the heart of this 10th commandment of do not covet. Jesus told him, he said, one thing you lack, young man, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he says this, and this is where a lot of people want to draw the line. Then he says, then come follow me. He just told this rich young man, I don't need all those things. I need you to follow me. So I bring that up because a lot of times we say, well, once I get this job and I get on my schedule, I'll, I'll come to church and I'll be involved and I'll, I'll be able to do these things. No, God doesn't need you to get that job. He needs you to be in his presence now. We, we do a lot of what ifs. We, we put a lot of things out there. If this happens, then I will do this, God. And Jesus says, hey, rich young man, rich young woman, I don't need, I don't need your baggage. Let go of those rocks that are weighing you down. Let go of your addiction. Let go of your pride. Let go of whatever it is that you're carrying. And you come follow me. And you will have treasure in heaven. One of the saddest stories in the Bible is this story that Jesus tells. You know why? Because the Bible says the young man went away sad. That young man couldn't give up his things. He couldn't give it up. Not even for the treasure of heaven. Speaking of giving up our things... Christmas is just around the corner. I know that because I went into Target and they already had Christmas lights up next to the Halloween stuff. <laughs> Christmas is coming. The advertisers, within the next month, it's going to start coming out. Toys R Us, a bankrupt company, is going to spend millions of dollars to try to save themselves in two months. And your kids are like, yeah! They got the good stuff. They got Jeffrey the giraffe. These advertisers promise fulfillment if we buy their stuff. We just moved. Just had a garage sale. And I realized something. All my cool stuff, people were buying for $5. $10. I'm not kidding. It was crazy. That's my stuff. It's worth so much. But it's not. It's not worth eternal life. It's my stuff. These advertisers know. They know what we covet. And their ad, no matter what it is, it suggests that when you purchase this thing, you'll be cool. You'll be surrounded by friends. You'll have a beautiful spouse. You'll have a great, enjoyable life. You'll have meaning because you bought the new whatever. They know that we covet. And they know that we also have a tendency to too quickly become dissatisfied with what we have. But we're not so dissatisfied that we won't let go of it. We just have to get the newer model. But God wants us to be content with what we have. 
He wants us to keep our eyes focused on Him, not on things of this world. It's interesting to me that the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And the last commandment is you shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that your neighbor has. You see, if God is our God, if He is the most valuable focal point in your life, then you'll be content. And when you're content in your relationship with God, you won't covet. When you're content with your relationship with God, you will celebrate when your brother or sister celebrates and you will weep when they weep. You won't be bitter when someone at work gets a promotion or a bonus or an unexpected blessing in life or a raise or when your neighbor comes home with a new car, you're going to be like, man, that's great, Bill, or whatever your neighbor's name is. You'll celebrate with them because you can be content knowing that your God will provide all of your needs. We sang that just a second ago. My God will provide all of my needs according to His time, according to His riches and glory. Don't miss this. The Ten Commandments are bookended. No other gods. Do not covet. And even the Pharisees missed it. They went to Jesus. They tried to trick Him up. Try to find a loophole. They asked him to name just one great commandment. And Jesus knew what we now know. Every law is based on principle. And in Jesus' day, many people were obeying the law, but they weren't upholding God's principles. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate this concept. You know the story, or maybe you don't, but it goes like this. A man is attacked on a road and he's left for dead. Well, that's a really grim story. Yes, yes, it is. And he's left there. And as time passes, a priest and a Levite, people who know the law well, they pass by. They look at him. They see he's bleeding. May or may not be alive, and they don't help. They don't stop. Jesus says, later a Samaritan comes by. Just so you know, the Samaritan in this time frame was considered to be the lower class of people. Nobody liked the Samaritan. They're kind of like Auburn fans. Nobody likes them. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just calm down. Nobody liked the Samaritans. But the Samaritan comes across this injured man Not only does he clean him up and he help him, but he puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the next stopping place on the route, and pays for his medical treatment. You think, well, that's not a big deal. It is because the law didn't want you, didn't allow you to touch a dead body. The law, if you were a priest or or a Levite, did not allow you to get someone else's blood on your hands. And even though this man wasn't dead, He may have appeared to be dead to those passing by, but the Samaritan risked disobeying the law in order to show mercy to an injured stranger. The priest and the Levite passed by the injured man for fear of breaking this law. And Jesus, for Jesus, showing mercy to others and truly loving your neighbor is far more important than obeying a ceremonial purity law. We miss that sometimes. Jesus encouraged people 
to live by the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. That's why he said what the greatest law was. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He wanted us to live by the spirit of the law. He wanted the people around him to understand why we obey a commandment. It's because God led us out of slavery. It's not that we have to, we should want to. We should want to live our lives with no other gods before us. We should want to live our life not thinking that we have to covet what other people have. He wanted people around him to understand why we obey a commandment. And Paul wrote that with Christ in our lives, the law is no longer written on tablets of stone, but it is written on our hearts. You know, the reason we break a commandment comes from what's in our hearts. In the same way, the reason we obey a commandment is because our hearts have been transformed into Christ. Let me put it to you this way. Today, we are to drive the speed limit. Why? Because speeding is dangerous to ourselves and to others on the road. And to some extent, our lawmakers value life, so they put up speed limit signs. Stealing a car is against the law too. Because our, no, our lawmakers know that what belongs to you, you worked hard for, should be protected. So stealing is against the law. For, for those reasons, driving faster than the speed limit is against the law. Stealing a car is against the law. However, recently, I read a story that concerned the recent shooting in Las Vegas. It was probably my favorite story out of this whole thing, of this tragedy. And a man actually saw a kind of a fleet of white trucks. And, and some of you may have read this same story, but basically he went around and he, he jiggled handles on doors and finally one of them opened and the keys were in the truck. And so he took it. He used that truck to take wounded people to the hospital and had already been to the hospital and back by the time that the EMTs arrived. And I don't bring this up to say anything negative about the EMT service. They can only do, they can only go into action when somebody calls. This guy happened to be there. Everything fell in place. But I bring it up because this man did what needed to be done. Just like the Good Samaritan. He wasn't worried about the consequences of stealing the truck. Matter of fact, he, it is said that he took it back. He was asked what would happen if the charges were pressed for stealing and vandalizing the truck due to the amount of blood that covered the seats. He said he'd made up his mind at that point that he would take whatever responsibility for stealing the truck in order to help others. He said he would do it all over again if he had to. You see, the thing about laws is there's no grace in the law. Sometimes it's acceptable to set aside some laws, and I would like to think that in this situation, the company that owns the truck and the local law enforcement would accept the principle that the lives this man saved were more valuable than the truck or the speed limit that he broke to get them to the hospital. That brings me back to the beginning. You shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do this, 
You won't have to worry about having other gods before you. Because our great big God will go and He will be the only focal point of your worship. You won't be concerned with what others have. You'll find that if you do that, when you come to the cross, it's a lot easier to let go of that baggage that you've been carrying around. If you know that you have the love of God in your life, that's enough. That's enough. I don't know about you, but throughout this series on the Ten Commandments then and now, I've learned indefinitely that the Ten Commandments are just as valid today in 2017 as they were when God first gave them to Moses on Mount Sinai. As we come to our response time this morning, we're going to do our Ten Commandments responsive reading. And I want you to, to all just stand, if you would. And don't just read it. Don't just say the words, but let them resonate on you as you look at your picture up here. Because the reality is, it's time to let go of the baggage of good intentions. Because sometimes that's what we're holding on to. But it's time to let go of the baggage of good intentions that may keep us from God. As we complete this responsive reading, we're going to go right into our response song. And I want to challenge you to think through the Ten Commandments and the response that you're going to read back to me today. And as you do this, think about if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you were challenged by God's word this morning, I want you to begin to live differently. That's what our response time is all about. You deciding how you will respond to God's word. If your response is for baptism, for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can make that happen. Maybe now is the time that you would just like the elders to pray for you. Maybe you're having a hard time letting go of some of this baggage and you want to be the guy in the picture without the baggage before the cross, before God. It's a good time to do that. The elders would love to pray with you as you begin to live out this concept of truly putting God first. And if we do that, all those other commandments, even coveting, are so much easier to keep in check. Think on how you will respond as we do our responsive reading. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I will obey my parents and all authority and everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. I am not my own. I was bought at a price. Therefore, I will honor God with my heart, my mind, and my body. You shall not steal. If I have to steal, I must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with my hands, so that I may have something to share with those in need. You shall not give false testimony. Instead, speaking the truth in love, I will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You know the crux of that song is right there in that picture. Are you really willing to surrender all so that you can stand before God and say, I have no other gods. I have no reason to covet. It's been great to be here with you all this morning, to worship with you, to share with you from God's word, but now it's time for us to go. As you go this morning, I want you to go knowing that our God values humanity. He values contentment. And he values peace. As you go this week, let's be a reflection of those things. Sing this last song with us, please.